So the, the passage that we're looking at here in, in Luke uh, gives us the theme of what the series is all about. What we've been asking, the question we've been asking as we've looked at this, this theme, is why is it that Jesus even came to earth? Why did, what, did he come here? What was his message? What was his mission? Why did Jesus leave heaven and come to earth? What was the point? And we've summed all that up with this phrase that we're going to find here in the passage today. Jesus came to seek and to save. You've got that part down, right? If you've been hearing this series, you know Jesus came to seek and to save. And, and as we've gone through the gospel together as a church, we've seen how that unfolded while he was here on earth. And who was it that he was seeking and saving? He came for the lost. Jesus came for the lost. That's going to be critical as we look through these, these chapters here today. Um, I don't know if you guys saw this in the news. Uh, I saw it last week, but I think the, new, the story broke two weeks ago. Did you hear about the two boys that got lost in the Amazon rainforest? This isn't a joke. This is real. There were two boys, um, Glauco and Gleason Ferreira, who were both eight and six years old. And these two little boys were from Brazil in the Amazonian rainforest area in a little remote village right in the middle of the Amazon. And these two boys were chasing birds, playing together, chasing birds, and they got too far out into the, the Amazon forest and got lost. And so for multiple weeks, I think it was two weeks, there were all these people from all the area. All the village went out. They called in fire and rescue, and, and, and they were searching. I mean, it's the Amazon rainforest. <laughs> this goes for miles and miles and miles and miles, and it's completely remote and rugged, and they couldn't find the boys. And so for after, after two weeks of searching for these lost boys, they ended up giving up the search. Well, two weeks later, two weeks ago, in February, the two boys were found alive. <laughs> they had been living off of rainwater uh, in the Amazon rainforest. Someone who was out cutting wood happened to hear a noise, went over and found these guys. They were lost, and they were experiencing what it is like to truly be lost at eight and six. Can you imagine what they must have gone through? But they were very dehydrated and hungry, they said, but they were going to be healthy and fine. So it ended up as a good story. But, but to be in that place where we're lost, maybe some of you remember being lost. I remember as a little kid going to a store with my mom, and as we were checking out, uh, there, there's another little kid there about my age standing there, and this is before the days of cell phones and all that, because I'm that old. And, and the little kid is standing up there, and they, they, at the, the, the person at the cash register pulled up the phone and makes the announcement over the like, department sport, store speaker. Mrs. So-and-so, your daughter is up here. She misses you. you know, the little kid gets lost, right? And the, the kid's freaking out like, it's only been, I've only been away from my mom for a few minutes, but I'm lost. And this store is big. And of course, then here comes a mom like frantic. Where did you go? I told you to stay right there. And, but they're reunited and everything's okay. Have you ever had that feeling? Some of you are like, every time I get in the car, I'm lost. <laughs> right? That feeling of loss, that sense of hopelessness and helplessness, that, that absolute need for help. That's what we see as we study through the gospel. Jesus came to people that were lost. Now, a lot of times what happens is people are lost and they don't know they're lost. And it's not until later that they realize, oh, that's how I viewed the world, but I was lost. 
but I've been found. And as we go through these chapters, that's what we find. Now, I'm going to do my best to really move through this overview of these chapters for you, okay? It's going to feel like I'm skipping over these stories that you may have read this week, and you're like, ooh, these are good stories. I can't wait until we talk about them. I may not talk about them. I'm sorry. That's how we're doing this series. It's an overview, and then we'll focus in on one, all right? Chapter 15, though, talks about the lost. And in fact, what chapter 15 talks about is the lost being found. So chapter 15, Jesus tells three parables. He tells the parable of the lost sheep, how the the farmer goes out and finds that one lost, even though the other 99 are safe. There's a parable of lost sheep, then a parable of a lost coin, and then a parable of lost sons. We know it better as the story of the prodigal son. All, both sons were lost. One stayed home and was lost. One went far away and was lost, but they were lost, right? So that's the, 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 the theme of chapter 15, those three parables. And in it, one of the things that we pull out of that is that we're to always keep hope. Because even when something's lost, there's always the hope that it might be found. And what we learn as we look at the life of Jesus is that he wants to save those who are lost. Sometimes people feel like, oh, well, so-and-so, they're lost, and they're really lost. Even God can't save them. (laughs) Well, Jesus said he's come to save those who are lost. In, in In Luke 15, Jesus says this. He says, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, who is it that sits in front of the angels of God? God. (laughs) They're the angels. So where's the joy coming from? It's coming from God. What Jesus says is, hey, when one sinner repents, the Father exudes joy. There is joy over one being found. In 2 Peter 3.9, it says this, The Lord is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's the heart of God toward the lost that all would be found and all would be saved. All right, so that's chapter 15, the lost being found. Chapter 16, uh, we we talked a few weeks ago about how how Jesus would always tell you, hey, I want you to know the truth here, and I want you to count the cost. Following me is not always going to be easy. People will tell you you're going to be blessed, and you are, but it's going to be difficult at times. Well, he does the same thing here. In chapter 16, we talk about the lost being found. Ooh, we love that. But in chapter 16, sorry, 15 is lost being found. Chapter 16, it's about the lost remaining lost. Okay? And in that chapter, Jesus tells the parable of the dishonest manager. The one who, he's just kind of shady and he does wrong business um, dealings and he just stays that way. Then he talks to some Pharisees who loved money above everything else. And then he talked about people who chose to live lives in adultery. And then he also referred to a rich man that ended up in Hades. What you find in chapter 16 is that the lost remain lost. So even though Jesus wants to save those who are lost, God gives us freedom of will. He gives us the ability to reject the free gift of salvation that he offers. In in John chapter 8, when he was speaking to some Pharisees that were this way, here's what he said to them. He said, you, talking to these Pharisees that did not want to repent, You are of this world. This world's for you. You're for this world. I, however, Jesus speaking, I'm not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, 
you will die in your sins. What the Bible tells us is some people will be lost. Even though God Almighty desires to save all, the scripture is very clear that some will be lost. You might talk to people that say, oh, you know, I think if God's a God of love, then therefore God at the very end, no matter if we want him or not, God will save everybody. I'm sorry, guys, but that's not what the Bible says. That's not what Jesus said. He he says, if you reject this gift of salvation, then I will honor that rejection and I will give you what you're, you're looking for. All right, so chapter 15, the lost being found. Chapter 16, the lost remaining lost. Chapter 17 talks about, well, what's going on in all this? It's a battle for the lost. And that's what we, we learn in chapter 17. What we find out is that, yes, some will be saved and some will not, but temptations are for sure going to come to both. Uh, in, in verse 3 of chapter 17, Jesus said specifically, he said, look, pay attention to yourselves. Make sure you're looking at your own heart. Make sure you're looking at your own life. Because you might feel like you're going down one path, but you can get lost. I tell you what, when those two little boys set out from their village to go chase those birds, they didn't set out thinking, oh, I'm going to end up lost. No, this is their playground. This forest, this is what they're used to doing. And they go out and they went a little farther. And the one little brother is to the other brother. Hey, do you know where we're at? Oh, yeah, we'll find our way back. We, We came from that way, right? And they've gone farther and farther and farther until eventually they're both like, we don't know which way is what. And we are lost. And there's a battle that's happening for our souls in this life. Jesus tells us there in chapter 17 that life on the earth is going to be difficult and the path, the path is narrow. And he he finishes the chapter, this, this one might have bothered you if you read this, he finishes the chapter with this apocalyptic vision of the end of history. And this is the part of the Bible where Jesus talks about, you know, two are going to be side by side in a field, working on their field. And one is going to be taken and one is going to be left behind. Some are going to be saved and some are not. Now, I think a lot of times when Christians read those passages of Scripture, it kind of freaks them out a little. In fact, there was a whole novel series called the Left Behind series and, and movies and things that went along with it. And the whole thing is they build this picture of, whoa, what happens when Jesus returns? And if the church is, is, is taken away, will you be left behind? You know, and everybody's heart picks up a few beats. They're like, ooh, what would that be like? I walk home someday and my wife and girls are gone and I'm the only one left. Ah! I come to church, hopefully all of you are gone, but it's just me left. Oh no, Lord, you know? There's a little fear that is associated with that, all right? But we have nothing to fear when we place ourselves in Jesus's care. So if you're a believer here today and you've put your hope in him for salvation, you've got nothing to worry about. Even when you read those passages of scripture, it should, it should stir your heart because you realize that some would be left behind and we don't want that to happen. We want to have the same heart that Jesus has for the lost. But it shouldn't freak us out about ourselves because we've put ourselves in his care. In John 10, 27, Jesus said this. He said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And look what he says. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one, no one will snatch them out of my hand. If you put your hope and trust in him, he says, nobody can take you out of my hand. But 
He also tells us, but there's a temptation. That's what we're, we're seeing in this chapter 17. There's a temptation to be lured out of his hand by our own flesh and by the spiritual forces of evil. That's why there's a battle going on for people's souls. Ephesians 6.12 says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So as I'm thinking about this, and I'm thinking about the lost, and I'm thinking about some will be saved and some won't, and, and there's this battle going on for people's souls. This, for me, um, I, I begin wrestling through all this with my heart and mind, and I, I ask myself, who am I? Where do I fit in these categories of the lost or the found? And, and what about my kids? What about my family members? What about my neighbors? What about the people I care about? Are they lost? Are they found? What's going on? Now, if we just stop there at chapter 17 and go home right now, it's kind of discouraging. <laughs> so we don't do that. And gratefully, Luke gives us more instruction on that. And that's where chapter 18 comes in. Okay? And so if you read 15 and 16 and got to 17 and you saw the apocalyptic stuff and were like, oh, I'm done. I don't want to read any farther. Well, you missed out. Because if you kept reading to 18, you realize that there's some hope here. And in chapter 18, we get some guiding principles from Jesus about, okay, well, what's this supposed to be like? There are people that are lost. There are people that are found. There's a battle going on. How do I live my life? And he starts with two more parables. He talks about the persistent widow who would not give up. All right, and that's something that you get from there. And then he talks about another uh, parable about a tax collector and a Pharisee that go to pray. And if you remember that, the tax collector goes in and he's just humble. He just pours his heart out before God and says, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. And he just leaves it there, hanging, like Jesus would do with parables. Doesn't give an explanation, nothing. He just said, these two men went in, and this one, he went back justified. And then there's two events that happen. Some children are brought to Jesus, a whole pack of kids. And the disciples say, no, 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 don't bring the kids. He's a busy man. He's Jesus. And Jesus is like, oh, hold on. Let the kids come to me. Do you understand what you can learn from these children? They have faith and they are trusting. And those traits are critical for a person who wants to be a, a member of the kingdom of heaven. Okay, and then after that, there's one more event that happens where the rich young ruler comes. This young man who comes and has a conversation with Jesus and Jesus says, hey, he says, how can I be saved? And he says, oh, no problem, follow the commandments. And he's like, I've always done that. And he says, for you, you have one other thing that you need to do. You need to sell everything and follow me. And the man goes away. All right, now here's, here's some of the things that we learn from that. Number one, we learn not to give up like the widow. Number two, we learn to remain humble, like the tax collector. Number three, we learn to trust, like a child. And number four, we're called to be obedient, not like the rich young ruler. Now those four things are important because of what we're going to see here and where we're going to spend our time studying here today in chapter 19. So if you're not already there in chapter 19, open up to that. You didn't read this part if you're following along our reading list. And that's okay, because what you did read set you up for the story that we're going to look at here today. And this is an event that captures Jesus' teaching and an example of the lost being found. All right, so if you're there, you can read along with me. In Luke chapter 19, we're going to start in verse 1. Here's what it says. 
It says he, this is Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is sinner, who is a sinner. Now we don't know how much time passes from verse 7 to verse 8, but it goes on there in verse 8, and it says, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man, here it is, guys, came to seek and to save the lost. Okay, this is the story of Zacchaeus. Has anybody, by a show of hands, ever heard the story of Zacchaeus? There's a few. Okay, many of you. I'll tell you the truth. I first remember Zacchaeus from being a little boy in school, in like Sunday school, uh, elementary classes, Learning the song. Anybody know the song? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Uh huh. And as a savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down. For I'm going to your house today. For I'm going to your house today. That song says nothing. Really. But it gives us some things that we really, it's interesting to us. He was a wee little man. (laughs) He was small. And he climbed up into a tree. That's all you needed, really, for a kid's song. They're like, wow, that's amazing. That doesn't really have any other real content to it. But it's fun to sing, and it's got great hand motions. You climb up in the tree, and all the stuff. Right? And so for a little kid, I always remember that story about Zacchaeus. But the story, the song doesn't give any explanation. And here's the thing. With a quick read of the scripture like we did this morning, we don't really get much either. You read through it, and it's like, okay, a man meets Jesus. He spends the day with him. He gives a large amount of money to charity and is therefore saved. Well, that's, that's actually not what happened. But if we skim through it, we miss a lot of the things that are in here. Now, we don't have much of a backstory on Zacchaeus. Okay, so if this was the the first time, maybe this has been the first time that you've ever tried to really read the Bible for yourself and go go through a book of the Bible on your own. If you're like, hey, Zacchaeus, is that a new character? Yes, he is. And in fact, you don't see Zacchaeus anywhere before this in the Bible or anywhere after. Those little 10 verses, it's the only place that Zacchaeus pops up in Scripture. And, and, And the history, though, that we have in front of us is important And so we want to unpack it a little bit. And this is what we can pull out of this as we look at these verses. First off, we can find four facts. Four facts about Zacchaeus. Number one, it says he was a tax collector. But not only was he a tax collector, it tells us there he was a chief 
tax collector. Okay? The second fact we find out about Zacchaeus was that he wanted to know Jesus. We don't really know why he wanted to know Jesus. We don't know a whole lot of the background, but we can infer some things. But what we know is that he wanted to know Jesus, or at least see who Jesus was. Third, the third fact is that Zacchaeus was rich. It says there in the scripture, he was rich. One of the ways it describes him. And the other one, my favorite of these all, the other fact about Zacchaeus that we know, he was short. <laughs> he was small in stature. He was a little guy. All right, and that's also critical to this story. Now, as we follow through here in, in verse 1, it says that Jesus is entering Jericho. Now, I have a map for you here today that I'll put up here. Oh, and I, I don't have my little laser pointer. Um, and it's very small. I'm sorry. That may not be very helpful for you. Um, let me try to explain it to you. It, there's a few key landmarks that you can learn. And if you understand those, you understand some of the history of the Bible that happens in Israel. Israel's a small place, okay? So the events that happen in the Bible are, are for the most part, in a very small place. You get into Acts, and they start traveling around and into Europe and everywhere else. Turkey, it spreads out. But a lot of the Bible is in just Israel, okay? This is not a good picture. That's my fault. But to the left, that's a body of water. It's the Mediterranean Sea, all right? Then there's down toward the middle and the bottom, another little blue area is the Dead Sea, if you follow that up, that's the Jordan River to another little uh, place up higher. It's another lake, the Sea of Galilee. Those bodies of water help you figure out the area. All right? Now, just a little bit west of the Dead Sea is Jerusalem. Jerusalem's also the place you probably ought to know in Israel. And then just to the north and to the east of Jerusalem is Jericho. If you've got really good eyes, you can see that on this map. All right? Today, you can go and visit Jericho, just like you can go to Jerusalem. It's about a 40-minute drive from Jericho to Jerusalem. But Jericho is one of the oldest cities in the world. Archaeologists um, have gone through and they dig deep and they've, they've got um, remains from pottery and all this kind of stuff from prehistoric times. I mean, thousands of years even before the life of Jesus. Okay, Jericho is one of the oldest cities in the world that we know of. It was destroyed and rebuilt many, many times. Uh, another kid song, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. That's this Jericho, all right? And the walls came tumbling down, same place. Now, it had been destroyed way back then, but was rebuilt. And by the time of Jesus, it was an important business center, Herod the Great had built his winter palace there in Jericho. Mark Antony had given Jericho as a gift to Cleopatra, for all of you true history buffs that are, like to know all that. All right? And Jericho was a crossroads of all these trade routes. People were constantly going through Jericho. It was a major city, not an outlying little town or village. So the reason I tell you all that is because to be a chief tax collector in a city like Jericho would have been a very lucrative career. This wasn't some little backwoods, hole-in-the-wall place off the beaten path where you're a little tax collector. No, you're in Jericho, and you're the chief tax collector in Jericho. That, therefore, Zacchaeus, when they say Zacchaeus was rich, he was rich, rich. <laughs> okay, Zacchaeus was loaded. And what does Jesus tell us about rich people? He tells us in Matthew 19, Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom. And when the disciples heard that this, they were greatly astonished, saying, well, then who can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And as we see here, as we're going to see as we look through this, Zacchaeus had a lot of money, but he was hooked on his money. His money was his thing. That was his thing. How do I know that? Well, I know it because he had sacrificed everything for it. You see, in order to be a tax collector working for the Roman Empire, uh, just taking that job, you'd be viewed as a traitor to your own country. See, the Roman Empire was, was over most of, well, definitely all this area and a whole lot of the, of the known world at this time. Israel was not its own independent country. So they were underneath the reign and the rule of Rome. Rome's in Italy. It's a long way away. But what they would do is they would set up these, these people to collect taxes as they were subservient to Rome. And what they would do is they would recruit people from the area to work for them. So they were working for a government that had come in and taken over the country that you lived in. And so people would view them as traitors. So simply accepting this job as a tax collector would mean automatically your family might disown you, your neighbors are going to hate you. And history tells us that it was common for these tax collectors to extort money, extort money and get rich by exploiting the poor. So to be a tax collector pretty much told you two things. You're going to have a lot of money and you're going to have very few friends because it was not a job that you wanted to have. They say it's lonely at the top and Zacchaeus felt this. But in verse 3, what we find out, the text tells us that he wanted to see who Jesus was. Now this wasn't, he just wanted to look at Jesus and say, what's this guy look like? He wanted to hear him. He'd heard about this teacher that's going around. He heard about the miracles that were taking place. And he wanted to know, what is this Jesus guy all about? I want to see who he is. But Zacchaeus has a limitation. We talked about it. He's a small person. And being a small person in a large crowd would have been bad enough. But to be a small person in a large crowd of a bunch of people that hate you? That'd be even worse, right? So Zacchaeus here... Instead of seeing the crowd and saying, oh, forget this, I'm going back to the office. Can't deal with that. Instead of that, he persisted. And being resourceful, Zacchaeus finds a solution. He says, okay, I want to see Jesus. I want to know what's going on with this guy. But I can't because of the crowd. Mm, what do I got to do? He's looking around and in verse 4, he sees a sycamore tree. You may not know what a sycamore tree looks like. I didn't either. Here you go. Here's a picture of a sycamore tree. Look at that beautiful sycamore tree. Now something to notice about a sycamore tree, they have all these nice horizontal low branches. And so he sees the sycamore tree and he says, perfect. I can avoid the crowd and I can see Jesus. I can, I can do this. Where did he come up with this idea? I'm reading into the text. It doesn't tell us here this, but I think he probably saw the neighborhood kids already climbing in this tree. I mean, if, if this tree was in your town and you were a little kid, I promise I would have been climbing that tree. <laughs> and so these kids are up here and it's their playground, right? It's a park for them. They're climbing the tree. They're hanging out in there. Zacchaeus, he's dressed head to toe in his Armani suit and Gucci. He's got his Rolex on and he's like, hey, the tree, 
I'm going to do it. I don't care. I'm going for it. And that's what he does. For a grown man, a very rich grown man, to do this, it would have required some humility. Right? Wasn't he too dignified for this? Wasn't he too important for this? Weren't people going to make fun of him? Come on, the kids are going to make fun of him. <laughs> that, that's what is going to happen. But he didn't care. What do we see in Zacchaeus here? We see some humility. It's not the humility that you would expect from a chief tax collector from Jericho. But we see humility. Pride is one of the great walls that separate us from Jesus. This was one of the things that, that Zacchaeus pushed to the side. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And in verse 5, we see something surprising happen. All right? So Zacchaeus is, has seen the crowd. He's seen the kids. He sees the sycamore tree. He's like, I'm doing this. He climbs up the tree. He's sitting there waiting. The crowd comes along with Jesus. They're all following behind him. He walks up, and there in verse 5, it tells us when he, Jesus came to the place, he looks up. He stops and he looks up. Can you imagine how Zacchaeus must have felt at that moment? Okay, there's a crowd of people. He's in a tree. <laughs> Jesus stops and looks up. The great teacher walks up with a crowd and calls you out in a somewhat awkward position. <laughs> What Zacchaeus wanted was to be out of the way. He's like, I want to hide over here in the tree. Nobody's going to see me. I'll watch Jesus walk by. I'm off to the side. No problem. This is going to work out. It's going to be great. But all of a sudden, he's thrust into the very center. And you know what it's like when somebody goes, walks along, and then looks up? Pretty soon, everybody's like, what are they looking at? What's he looking at? And everybody else starts looking up, right? So the crowd of people, Zacchaeus is holding on in a tree. Jesus looks up, and everybody looks up. So now Zacchaeus is stuck here. And then it gets worse. Because it's not like Zacchaeus says, huh, rich guy in a tree, and walks on. That's not what happens. Jesus looks up and says, Zacchaeus, you, come on down. He calls him down and tells him, I want to stay at your house. Now I wonder if just for a moment, Zacchaeus thought, hold on, is this a setup? How, how does he know who I am? Has the crowd put him up to this? What's going on here? But even if that went through his head, we don't see that. All we see, the scripture tells us, he hurried, he came down, and received Jesus with joy. He's like, okay, great. Pops down out of the tree, brushes himself off, and says, right this way, Jesus. I'll take you to my house. Now, I want you to notice a couple things here. Notice, number one, that Jesus calls him by name. He says specifically as he looks up the tree, Zacchaeus. Leave the kids, but you come down. Zacchaeus, you come down. The God of the universe knows your name. And I know that we can feel sometimes like we're shadows or forgotten in this life. When life kind of blurs by you, you get overlooked for something. Maybe you're a student here, you're in school, and you're like, there's so many kids. Like, who am I in this big old world? You know, I, I, I looked this week just because I do this, at how many people are living on the earth right now. And I thought, it's got to be close to 7 million at this point. I remember seeing it at 6 point something. Oh, no, I was wrong. We're at 7.9 billion people on this planet right now. 7.9 billion people. We can't get our brains around that number. 
We can't get our brains around a million people, not much less a billion, 7.9 billion people. But here's the thing. With all these billion of people, you are known by God. You are known by God. Matthew 10, 29 to 31, Jesus says this. He said, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? That was cheap birds in the market at that time. And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. You know, this morning, hopefully you brushed your teeth, and you're up there, and you're, you're brushing your teeth in front on the sink or whatever. A little hair falls out of your head onto the, the counter. You're like, yeah, whatever. Jesus, God in heaven, he's like, oh, there's 14,212. I see it right there. It just fell. It just fell. He's paying attention. He knows every hair on your head, every detail of your life. He actually cares about these things. He cares about you. And also, not only did he call him by name, he noticed that there's an urgency in his voice. What does he say? He says, right there, he says, I must stay at your house today. Not tomorrow, not sometime soon. I must stay at your house today. A couple weeks ago, we talked about that story of the rich man who had worked his whole life to make a bunch of money, saved it all up, and finally realized, wow, I've got a huge retirement account. I can, as he said, soul, you can eat, drink, and be merry because you've got a lot of money saved up for a long, long time to come. But God comes and says to that person, hey, you fool, you saved up all this on earth, but tonight is your last night. You're dead after today. And whose is that going to go to? Who knows? but you were poor toward your heavenly father. You didn't save up treasures in heaven, right? Now, I don't know if that's what was happening here with Zacchaeus. I don't know if, if the reason we don't know about Zacchaeus later is maybe he had a heart attack the next day. I don't know. But what I know is that Jesus says to him, today, we've got to deal with some things. Today, you need to hear the message I need to speak to you. So I must come to your house. Listen, guys, today is always the best day for the lost to be found. I'll tell you right now, those two little boys out in the Amazon rainforest, hanging out thirsty, hungry, and scared, when they heard a voice off in the distance, the one little brother didn't say to the other little brother, eh, well, maybe somebody will come tomorrow or the next day. Yeah, we're hungry, we want to go home, but nah, we'll just wait. We'll stay being lost. Being lost kind of comfortable. No! <laughs> I promise. They're like, a oh, voice. We're either seeing things or there's somebody here to rescue us. Today is the best day for the lost to be found. Now, we don't know exactly what happens next between verses 7 and 8. It's just one verse after the other in your Bible, and so it seems like it's immediate. But it, it, I don't think it is. Um, what we do know that happened was that the crowd didn't like it. In their eyes, they saw Zacchaeus. They knew who Zacchaeus was. The crowd said, that Zacchaeus guy, that's the tax collector. He's the chief tax collector. He's the, the, the dirtiest person in this town. Jesus, don't waste your time on him. He's hopeless. He's lost. Well, they're half right. He was lost. But as we already learned, we don't give up hope when Jesus is in the picture. And in verse 8, after some amount of time with Jesus, was it there in the street? Was it back at his house? We don't know. But what do we see? We see Zacchaeus there in verse 8, standing and declaring his freedom. 
Way back in chapter 4, one of the, 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 the first message that we had in this series, Jesus, as he, he goes there to Nazareth and he unrolls the scroll of Isaiah and he's, he's talking about what he's called to do, one of the things in that list of things that the Messiah would do is he would free the captives. He would bring freedom to people. And that is what happens here. Jesus came to set the captives free and Zacchaeus received freedom from the thing that had enslaved him. His money. That's why we know that he was free. Because what does he do? It says there in verse 8, Jesus hears Zacchaeus say, Behold, Lord, half of everything I have, I'm giving it to the poor. And if I've ripped anyone off, I'm going to give it back to them four times what I took from them. Money no longer has a hold on him. He's free from it. He repents and makes reparations even beyond what was required. Zacchaeus had counted the cost. He knew what it would cost him to follow Jesus, and he obeyed. For Zacchaeus, obedience was giving up the thing that had driven him his whole life. His wealth. He said, I don't really need friends. I don't really need my family. I don't need the respect of the community. What I need is cold, hard cash and a lot of it. And that's what I'm going to go after no matter what. He did it, but he found that it didn't fulfill him. And it owned him. But here he obeys. Now, obedience isn't easy. We like to throw that out there as, okay, yeah, I'm just going to obey God. But obedience isn't easy. And obedience is where a lot of people, well-meaning Christians even, where they get stuck. They know they shouldn't do this. They know that the Bible has told them this isn't how you're to live life, but they do it anyway. Obedience is hard. It's not just a problem for little kids. It's a problem for grown-ups and people that have been around a long, long time on this planet. Obedience is hard. Jesus um, told a story, a parable about the soil, if you remember this, where he said, uh, he, he talks about a sower going out and planting seed. And he, he's sprinkling these seeds on these different types of soils. And one of the soil types that Jesus talked about was the soil that, that was full of thorns, thistles. And he says initially when the seed goes onto the, that ground that has the thorns in it, it grows up first and it seems like it's all good. It's planted, it's watered, the sunlight, the, the plants start to grow. But he says what happens in this soil that has the thorns is the thorns also grow up and they kind of start taking over. They wrap themselves around the plant. They start choking it out and pulling it down and destroying it. And that's what Jesus says. When the disciples ask him, hey, what was all the story about the dirt? He says, okay, let me explain to you guys. And when he gets to the thorns, he says, the thorns are the cares of the world. Money, he mentions. All these other things that drive people of the earth that, that chokes them out over time. It started out as a good plant. They're following the Lord. They, they're, they're, they're growing. They're moving forward with God. But the things of earth yank them down and pull them down. It's talking about this obedience. Zacchaeus very easily could have been just like the rich young ruler in chapter 18. When he comes to Jesus, what does he say? He says, Lord, how am I to be saved? And Jesus says there, hey, follow the commandments. He's like, awesome. I've been doing that since I was a little kid. I've done that since my youth. And he says, okay, if you've done that, then there's one thing you lack. I already told you this once today. He said, sell everything. Because that, those things, that wealth that you have, that's what has a hold on your heart. 
and what's the young man do there? He says, I can't do that. I'll obey you all the way up to that point, Lord. But I can't do that. That's my thing. That's what defines me. And he won't give it up. Zacchaeus could have been the same way, but instead he went all the way in and his life was transformed. Now look there in verse 9. We're almost done here, guys. In verse 9, Jesus says that salvation had come to the house. And he says an interesting thing there. He says, because he's now a son of Abraham. Now, you've got to understand the Bible. Abraham was the beginning of the old covenant. Abraham was a man that, that, that God made a promise to and said, in you and your offspring, that is where I'm going to get my nation of people. All of Israel was to grow out of the household of Abraham. But there was a big problem for Abraham. Abraham and his wife Sarah were old, 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 okay? Um, and, and they had no children. And so for God to come and say to Abraham, hey, I'm going to give you, I'm going to make a, a mighty nation out of you. Abraham's like, ah, no, actually, Father, when I die, I'm gone and my wife's gone. I don't have any offspring. I don't have generations. But what the Bible tells us is that Abraham was a man of faith. And when Jesus says here to Zacchaeus, you are now a part of the household of Abraham. He's not saying, oh, I turned him, I, 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 you know, baptized him as a Jew. No, Zacchaeus was already a Jew. He'd always been Jewish. That's not what he's referring to. What he's talking about now is he's saying Zacchaeus is now a man of faith. Just like Abraham was a man of faith, now Zacchaeus is a man of faith. Because Abraham trusted God with everything, even when it didn't make sense. When Abraham and Sarah had no children, in Genesis 15, verses 5 and 6, God brought Abraham outside of the tent. And he said, look toward heaven. So he's out there out of the, under the night sky. And he says, and number the stars. Go ahead, Abraham, count them. One, two, three. Oh, lost that. Start again. One, two, three. All the stars. Count them. And he says there, if you're able to number them. And then he said to them, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Zacchaeus took his faith, took his faith off of his riches and put it onto Jesus. That's where his faith was. We're all people of faith, whether you're a Christian here today or not. We all have our faith in something. We have some belief system, some way that we're living, some way that we make sense of the world. Zacchaeus, it was on his riches. He's like, my money will take care of me. Whatever I need will be provided by this money. And whatever money can't buy, I don't need anyway. That's where he had his faith, but he took it off of that. He said, I don't need it. I'm going to give it away. I'm going to return it. I'm going to have my faith in Jesus. And it's by faith that we are saved. And Zacchaeus' actions reflected his repentance, I'm leaving that behind, and his faith. And, and in chapter 18, I told you, Jesus taught us to not give up like the persistent widow, to remain humble, like the tax collector who prayed the prayer, to learn to trust, like the child, and to be obedient, not like the rich young ruler. But here was Zacchaeus. We find those same four things. We find that he was persistent. He didn't give up. He found a way to Jesus. Required climbing a tree, but he did it. He was humble. He was willing to climb up in that tree. He was trusting. He put his faith in Jesus. And he was obedient. He repented and made those reparations. 
And Jesus initiates all of this. As he comes to seek and to save, this is how the lost are found. It's with those things. This is how the lost are found. And so as we finish here today, maybe you're one of those people that you feel lost here today. Maybe you're coming and maybe you've been here before and you've heard the Bible and you've heard the message and you've heard what we're talking about here. Maybe you feel lost. What's this passage tell you? Well, don't give up. Be humble. Trust God and be obedient. And what do we see happen uh, here in this story when, that, when he does those things? Salvation comes to his house. That's the way to salvation for you. And maybe that's not you. Maybe you're like, no, I'm confident. I know that I'm not lost. Jesus found me and I could tell you about it. But maybe you know someone who's lost, which I'm sure you do. <laughs> but maybe you don't know what to tell them. This is one of the things that's hard about being a Christian is because when you become a Christian and God starts changing your life, you're like, this is really good. I need to tell some people about this. But then you try to tell some people about it, they're like, you're crazy. All I know is that you went wacko on me. I liked the, the old lost you, whatever you want to call yourself, better. But you're like, no, no, no. Life is so much better this way. But how do we get that out? Well, here, guys, this is a good direction for you. Point them to Jesus and tell them to do the, these same four, four things. And remember, no one is ever permanently lost until the day they die. Because here's the other thing. When we think about lost people, and I know I'm this way, when I read stories like this and I think about those who are lost, I've got a list of names that pop up in my head. And I'm thinking about these people that I care about and that I love, that I would really love to see in eternity. But I know they're lost. But don't give up hope. Keep praying for those people. Keep loving those people. Keep doing what you can to share the good news of the gospel with them. We never know what may happen. I promise all those people in that crowd said, if anybody's getting saved here today, it's not going to be Zacchaeus. And he was. There's always hope. Don't give up hope. With God, all things are possible. Let's pray together here.